When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Know Your Options, the Measured Risk Podcast. The ultimate guide to navigating the volatile nature of the markets while managing risk purposefully. Join us as we challenge the theory behind traditional asset allocation and dive into the mathematics of investing. Whether you are a seasoned investor or just starting out, this podcast offers valuable insights and practical advice to help you make informed decisions and manage your money wisely. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's dive into the world of calculated risks together. Welcome back to Know Your Options, the Measured Risk Podcast. My name is Larry Kriesmer. I'm here with my business partner, Bernard Sorowski. Good on me on a special guest today, Ben Carlson, who's the CEO and founder of SRA. And that's a specialty administrator in the captive insurance arena. And so this is a little bit off of our normal topic with uh, financial advisors and other RIAs, but really interesting uh, wedge of the business to talk about. So we thought we'd bring in an expert and share Van's experience and, and insight on this particular space. So as a, as a lead in, there is this ability in the U.S. to, well, actually, I should just let my expert talk about that. Why Van, why don't you introduce yourself and say hello, and then uh, talk yeah. a little bit about what the what the space that we're talking about is. You bet. So Van Carlson, founder and CEO uh, of SRA. Um, you know, we're, I w- I've been in risk management for almost 30 years. Uh, this, uh, what, we re- what we rely on with our business owners is a risk, man- risk mitigation tool, uh, and that's utilizing a tax code called 831B. Um, very similar to the 401k, right? It uh, allows business owners to take a deduction, defer the, defer, defer the income today with under a 401k arrangement. Obviously, it's for retirement underneath 31B operation. It's for manage it, It's for risks that you can't transfer. Um, what I mean by that is, is when you buy an insurance policy under the property and casualty arrangements between general liability, property coverage, auto, commercial auto, anything like that for your business, um, you're transferring that risk in event of an accident or damage to my property. It's going to be covered under this insurance policy. I pay a premium and I transfer that risk to Liberty Mutual, let's say. There's a, unfortunately, there's a ton of risk that you can't transfer. Um, and, and we know that because, well, a good example would be COVID, right? Um, and there's a lot of other examples I can give. But back in 1986, the 831B code came into existence, very similar to what's happening in the environment today. Um, and it's putting a lot of stress just on traditional insurances. Uh, back then, crop insurance was one of the things that public sector was getting out of. Um, and the farmers found themselves self-insuring crop insurance. Um, you also had a huge increase in liability coverage, uh, liability premiums. Uh, it was hard for business owners to get insurance in a lot of ways. I'm talking about traditional insurance. And then now you fast forward almost 40 years later, you know, cell phones weren't even a thing back in 1986. Social media didn't exist. People didn't know what brand brand protection even meant uh supply chain uh, supply chains to now are stretched even thinner than they are ever today because we're more on a global economy we're back in 1986 so really when you look at the risks that business owners are really retaining uh it's gotten a lot bigger and that's really where the code kind of comes in and, and 
kind of takes care of a lot of these different issues. And, and you know, it's been around for almost, like I said, 40 years. Uh, a lot of our clients are, you know, hearing about it for the first time, unfortunately. But uh, I can tell you this, going into COVID-19, you know, our, we responded quicker and faster for this process, and we helped business out faster than the PPP did. We're telling clients today that live through the COVID that I think all business owners should have a PPP plan, but it needs to be self-funded. And that's essentially what an 831B is. It's taking your taxable income that you would have paid taxes on uh, and putting it away into an 831B, no different than the 401k. You're deferring those taxes, and now you're building that rainy day fund up uh, to handle the risk you can't transfer. And that's really what we do. We specialize in that. We're an admin company. Uh, did no different than a 401k admin company. You got to have somebody admin your plan, making sure you full, follow the four-part test. There's rules and obligations you have to have, no different than a 401k. And that's our job to make sure our clients stay within those rules. Can you walk us through a couple of the challenges you faced early on getting up and running? <laughs> yeah, I, I tell it, you know, I started this, I literally started this in 08 and I started really because of the great recession. I saw the financial risk business owners took. Uh, I'd say I talk about a lot, you know, the four, I love fourth quarters because being in the traditional insurance market, you know, business owners would call me up and say, Hey, I'm buying a skid steer, two more trucks. What's going to cost to insure? You know, everybody was making more money. Um, the, the insanity part of that was all the business owner did was take an accelerated depreciation, finance the property. And then this, all he did was bet next year was going to be better than this year. Uh, why? Because now he was carrying debt. And, you know, that all came to a pretty screeching halt in the 08, 09, unfortunately. And that's really what I thought, you know, there has to be a smarter, better way of doing something. And I was introduced to this concept and I watched a gentleman that had seven of these at the time. He was a major uh, cons- uh, manufacturer of RVs. Um, everything from motorhomes to trailers and everything else. And he's been doing these for many, many years leading up to that. And he had cash and he was the one showing up at the auctions to buy his his competitors out. And I thought, this is a smart, this is, this is the way money should be invested, right? You don't buy in the high top of the market. You try to buy, you know, uh, it, it's just, it, it's so much better and more efficient way to run a business. So that was really our motivation. That was our, that was me saying, Hey, these are, these are the risk takers. These are the small business owners. They need the same idea as fortune 500 companies. Now the, the big companies have been doing these things for many, many years leading up to this point. Oh, oh eight. So, you know, after that, you know, unfortunately, you know, it, it took the economy to get better. By 2013, we started getting some really good, you know, I would say traction in the market. The IRS has won some cases since then, and it, it really had to do with more of an estate tax abuse program where estate tax attorneys took this product like like what we do. Um, just because it was designed for this doesn't mean we don't get to use it for something else. Um, and, you know, attorneys will do that. And and God bless them. It was really good estate tax planning. It was probably, it was too good in the eyes of the IRS. And they've challenged it. They did win some cases. Uh, since then, the path that got adjusted, the 831B came back into existence then. under What I mean by that is there were some changes made to the law. And basically it said no more Long, no more can you make uh, lineal descendants owners of these vehicles if they don't own the operating company that they're building the captive around. So that kind of get away from the estate tax plane. But what it also did was when it first started out, you could only do 1.2 million a year into it. They put they addition, they increased it by a million back in 2017, and then they put a, 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 a CPI rider basically uh, index on it. So this year, for example, you can put 2.65 uh, 2 million. 
650,000 wow. away a year into the plan. Now there's some actuarial rules. There's some things you got to do on that. Um, you, you know, this, this thing requires the box that it goes into is a C corp. Uh, it's own. It's got shareholders and everything else. Um, go ahead. Let, let me just let me just jump in, uh, Ben, yeah. because I think um, you're very experienced in this, and I'm reasonably experienced in this. I actually have some um, clients that have it, and we manage money in them. In them. Yeah. And I'm not. I'm not convinced that based on our conversation we just had, people listening uh, will know what we're still talking about. So <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna try and put this down into more layman's terms and just have a conversation about this. So first of all, I heard you mention the word captive once, but mostly it's been A31B, and we should just say that what this is is the creation of a captive insurance agency. And the captive insurance agency, meaning the idea that the insurance company is really only issuing coverage to one entity, which is an entity that is captive to the insurance company and is owned by the insurance company. I know there's some risk sharing that has to happen, but ultimately that's, is that a fairly blunt way or, you know, well, way to describe it or have I missed something? Well, that, that, that is the challenge, right? And, and you know, it's always been our challenge because when we talk about 831Bs versus captives or whatever, it, you know, I, I think if people can have a retirement plan and not be a 401k, you can absolutely own an insurance company and not elect under an 831B, right? The difference is it's a corporate tax and every year the premiums being seeded into that insurance company would be taxed as a normal corporation. The, under the 831B, there's specific rules in order to own, in order to elect under the 831B, right? So like you wouldn't have to have rule, you wouldn't have to have distribution of risk if you didn't want to take the 831B election. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's there, so there's some qualifying elements there. And, and realistically speaking, I've had to deal with this for a long time because attorneys that have really embrace this program the fastest um they have kind they don't know risk management i mean i i just talked to one about iso uh and i assumed he knew what he was talking about when i bring up iso iso's insurance standard office which every state adopts those rules if you're going to be an insurance company here's the rules you have to adopt to and i was uh kind of shocked that this guy that's been doing this for 20 years didn't know what iso meant so mm-hmm. there's a lot of challenges in our space um, and that's one of the challenges we face is, is you know, I, I want to see more risk managers in this space, meaning this is my background. I hire the attorneys. I hire the CPAs. When CPAs and attorneys are out promoting this product, they know tax code. They know the tax. They know. So there's what are they selling? Are they selling the taxes or are they selling the risk management that really should be the focus of this product and the way the why the code exists and that, that's been some of the challenges larry is sure. trying to get the messaging precise because those words get interchanged all the time and and you know you know it as a captive but really you can have a captive and not elect under an 831b it's an 831a actually um and so and when we have a lot of those guys we have a lot of guys that have 831as and because they're doing self-funded health plans dental plans short-term disability uh some medical plans that help with so they'll do the a's but then we'll do like the, the one the one that i ran into is like a large car dealership that does the um their own little policies on service contracts like uh, service contracts that kind of yeah. thing they don't actually sell those third party they actually have their own pool of money that's self-insuring that yeah, they, they have a tpa you know right, third party right, they're they're administering the plan right. but they absolutely own the reinsurance company in the back room but they had to have an a-rated carrier 
I, we do a lot of those as well, and I love that business. I, I think running warranty programs through this is a no-brainer. It's a great way to do additional revenue for your business, great way to retain your clients. Um, you know, we, we work with this from everything from guys that do service contracts under the HVAC systems. Um, anytime you book a liability in the future um, and you're taking money up front for it, uh, an 831B is a, no, a no-brainer. I mean, you should be able to book that money away, put it away, build a rainy day fund up, and, if, and when claims come through, you're just going to push back on that money. So uh, those are great plans. And so those are those are more of your traditional 831B plans, but there is a fronting company that, you know, a lot of states regulate that because they need somebody that's like a bond company at that point where the A-rated carrier is basically holding the paper, uh, but they're reinsuring that risk in the back room through an 831B. And, and those uh, are... Again, I'm just trying to get to high level. So again, the audience knows what yeah. we're talking about in a general way. And, and, the, and the, the topic basically is this idea of creating your some form of self-insurance for some form of risk in an entity that you can either elect to get favorable tax treatment or not, depending on what the you know what's important to you as a business owner. Is that is that a bigger sort of higher level description? Yeah, I would say yeah, that's absolutely. You can still expense I mean, yeah. it out of your operating company. It's just how it's going to be treated in the background. I mean, I, I had the pleasure of attending your your conference a couple of weeks back, which is you know which is just extremely informative. I you know I walked out of there going. You know, much more informed on this. So I thrilled to be able to say, that. I re- I was really intrigued by some of the examples you used, like even of dentists uh, you know, using this to offer, you know, coverage to their patients. I just thought that was so innovative, such an innovative use of, you know, offering like a service contract for lack of a better term. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, can you just share a couple more ideas along those lines that you? Yeah, I, I would. You know, I, we see it in the uh, accidental damage waiver world right now. Uh, a lot of the RV and boat storage units, for example, are, are springing up where, you know, you got a lot of CCC, CC&R requirements and people are buying recreational equipment now, right now, but they don't have a place to park it. Well, we can do accidental damage waiver in these storage facilities. Uh, if storage unit owners that want to offer their own contents coverage, uh, we do a lot of that kind of stuff as well. Then we talk about uh, the tenant stuff, uh, multifamily space, where if you want to offer some kind of tenant package on that. Uh, and so we have a, we have a lot of off the shelf products that we work with all with certain industries all over the uh, all over the country. Last year, around this time last year, for example, we had issues coming up with on death loss on livestock, uh, livestock. The avian bird flu was spinning up and a lot of the traditional, again, insurance carriers were finding themselves getting out of the market uh, because avian bird flu had spun up so much. So we'd actually came out with a, with a death loss insurance policy where we had specific people asking for this to be able to fund their own risk um, on, on a tax preferential treatment. So, you know, that got spun up last year. This year, we're, we're dealing with ERC, um, for example. Some of these, uh, you know, a lot of CPA communities said, hey, you didn't qualify. But then the third party guy came out and said, hey, you do qualify. And now there's this gap that says, okay, should I have gotten this money or not? And, and we're actually doing a campaign right now with the CPA community saying, hey, if your client took ERC money, and you may want to do an 831B today uh, just to be able to put that money away and let the dust settle to see whether or not, because unfortunately, you know, unattended consequences when Congress passes things and the IRS disagrees with it and not everything's written out in the law, uh, it causes interpretations. And, you know, then unfortunately, eventually things will go in, go in the court. Uh, that's kind of the way our third party, that's the way our systems work. Um 
you know, I think to, to me, if I was a client and I wasn't, I don't know if I was supposed to get the max I was supposed to get or a portion of it. I mean, again, there's a lot of unknowns under the ERC, for example. And we're telling our clients, man, if you took ERC this this year and you're not sure for sure you should have got it or you should have got as much as you got. I think uh, for an audit protection risk alone, you should be looking at doing an 831B. And, and because... You know, I, you guys, I mean, Wall Street's writing, a, you know, a series of articles on it right now. Yeah, um, and, you know, there's, uh, you know, there's some contention there with the, even with existing CPAs that I've talked to that they got to go back and amend these returns and they don't really think the client would deserve the money. Now, yeah. are they going to sign that tax return? Uh, there, there's a lot of things getting spun up in that world right now that we're seeing. And again, if you can just park the money off to the side for right now, uh, I think an 831B is a great vehicle for that. Can you talk a little bit more about when I was visiting with you guys, the opportunities in terms of the tax deductibility on the money going into these plans from the corporate side of it and how it's not taxable itself to the to the 831 plan? Just let's talk a little bit about that and how yeah, one can you take bet. advantage so, of that. And- yeah, it's very similar to the 401k, right? So you're, you're, expensing it, you're expensing your contributions under 401k, you're expensing your premium you're going to write to your 831b. And of course, 831B, no different than 401K, doesn't pick that up as income, right? So it's not taxable under the 401K umbrella. It's not taxable under the 831B umbrella. What is taxable is investment income. So like dividends, you know, that you would receive or or if you sold stocks and you had realized gains and all that kind of stuff. You always pay investment, realized investment gains under that arrangement. Um, But it's at the corporate level and and all that good stuff. What, uh, What is not taxed, though, would be the premium. Right. Uh, this is a C Corp. So down the road, um, you know, once once they're you know it's eligible for qualified dividend distributions. Uh, if the client says, "Hey, I sold my business. I'm going to shut this thing down now," you know, obviously it would come out as, as long term capital gains. So there is some there is some tax arbitrage going on in there as well, depending on where you live and and what the current corporate tax rates are. Right. So yeah. um, so that's where the that's the big advantages to this program is that you know the big knock on C corps obviously is the double taxation, but the the fact that the premium, let's call it a million bucks, you put a million dollars every year into this thing, it doesn't pick it up as taxable income under that, under that, inside that box. And that's, again, it's going to earn money. It's, you know, we expect clients, just like you said earlier, Larry, you're managing some of these accounts. We absolutely expect this, this money to be managed by their financial planners. And it does, um, you know, does a, does a lot of things for clients, you know, not only have mit- uh, risk mitigation, but long-term planning that you guys can do on the back room, I, I think is a substantial big advantage to, to business owners as well. What, what direction do you see the capital insurance marketplace going in? And are there any recent legislative changes that kind of make you excited or less than thrilled? Yeah, you know, the IRS came out with some uh, proposed new regulations on it this year uh, relating to the AAA6 filing, which is a transaction of interest or a listed transaction. We're not worried about that. We've been doing that for a long time now. We've been doing it since 2016 tax returns, uh, applying those documents, additional required paperwork for the tax returns. Um, I have no problem. Again, for the the uninitiated, that's basically forcing the taxpayer to raise their hand saying, I may be engaged in something that requires closer scrutiny. 
Yeah. That's exactly. basically, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But like I said, we've been doing it since 16, since 2016 tax return. There was a notice came out back then that required us to do it. It got challenged in court that the IRS didn't follow the proper procedures for this, for this listing transaction. And basically they lost, they actually lost it to the Supreme Court nine to zero that they did not follow the proper procedure. So now they had to go back through this procedure. And uh, we just finished up with, uh, comments uh, middle of July of this year and and you can ask actually SRA made several com, uh, written comments to the IRS under the code there were some things in there that you know are they making policy or are they making law uh, there was some questioning about that but you know nevertheless it is what it is I, I think right now the given where we're at in the market today I mean look at California I mean, California's lost three major carriers right now, State Farm, Allstate, Liberty Mutual just pulled out of all their commercial insurance, which means they're not writing new business for commercial insurance, which they own a big conglomerate of many different insurance companies underneath that umbrella. And so it's going to make it much tighter in the market space. Um, I, I jokingly say this, you know, your insurance policies are getting bigger. Uh, the reason why they're getting bigger is because there's more exclusions in them than ever before. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, when you look at the COVID situation where there's like, I don't know, close to 10,000 pending cases right now in court where the insurer is suing the insured that they didn't cover them for business interruption, uh, it, I, I, they're going to lose all those cases, meaning that the business owner that brought lawsuit against their carrier that they thought they had business interruption coverage for under COVID uh, didn't trigger coverage and there's specific exclusions in there. And the reason why your policy is getting thicker is because again, it's the more they have to put in exclusions. So, you know, if they offer you more coverage, right. they don't, they don't necessarily put it in the policy. They just, they only put exclusions in policies. So, so that market's just going to keep getting tired. Prices are going up and in the world's gotten much, much more complicated, right? Since this code took off, uh, you know, again, what is the plan for the Congress on the next go around? Are we going to do PPP again? Are we going to do ERC? Uh, Unfortunately, we're going to see a lot of fraud cases come out of that. And, um, you know, writing a $6 trillion check out in the world to make believe money, I don't know if that's really good for our economy. Uh, I think we're still feeling the ramifications for that. Uh, you had the Maui fires, which puts a ton of pressure on the reinsurance markets. Um, reinsurance markets are like banks. They're like, hey, guys, I need a rate of return on my money. If I'm not getting it, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna take the risk. Well, when you can sit around and get a, a corporate bond right now for what eight nine percent and not take any risk relative to the financial risk of that corporate corporation, but meanwhile I'm gonna put up money to hire to cover more catastrophic uh, potential claims and uh, for example what happened last week in Florida with the hurricanes. So I, I guess what I would say to you, Bernard, is I think we're in a great uh, far as what we're hearing and seeing and dealing with taxes aside. Business owners are concerned about the risk and the fact that they're not finding the risk that they need to cover. Um, when we look at COVID incidences, when we look at cyber today, when we look at supply chain risk, social media, the brand protection that goes into business owners and how much money they put into their brand and how quickly it can be destroyed, either either through their own means because they made a mistake or they have a disgruntled employee. We had a, we had a yeah. restaurant where a disgruntled employee went out and made up 15 fake emails and killed and nailed them on Yelp. Oof. And they couldn't understand. They went from a four and a half, five, four, six down to a two because oh, wow. all of a sudden they had one star negative reviews. And that's just from one disgruntled employee. Um, you know, so when you, when you look about, when you think about the craziness of that, 
yeah. and the complications that brings. Uh, yeah. I think to having a, a you know business owners never had an incentive to save money. They've got all the world and they got all the incentive in the world to spend money. Yeah. Um, you know, this is a first code that really allows them to build up a rainy day fund, a war chest, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And hopefully you never have to use it like every other insurance concept. You you know, who wants to use insurance? I can't think of a good situation where insurance is being used ever in a situation. Well, insurance. Uh, let me address insurance, too, because I think there, there may be some people out there that are going to maybe inquire about 831 and about captives potentially and the language or whatever they're using. And let's talk about the primary abuse in this area, because I think it's important to address it so that people know what maybe to for sure look out for. And and my my understanding was that, again, conceptually, you form your own insurance company, self-insure your risk. You can accept a very large tax deductible uh, uh, expense from your corporation, tax uh, deferred in your in your captive insurance agency or in your A31B. And then there are taxable um, interest things happening over in the A31B. So the cure for that, quote unquote, was to invest in corporate owned life insurance. And they would take, you know, promoters would basically take all of the premium and buy a very significant amount of life insurance, which then had a tax wrapper around it and would generate no tax liability and create a huge pool of tax-free money in the event that the business owner was you know, to die or something. And this is presumably also tied into the, you know, let's say overly aggressive estate tax attorneys who could then structure in a way that tried to make that life insurance death benefit estate tax-free for the beneficiaries. So in a nutshell, I think that's the that's the red flag that was raped and waved in front of the IRS bowl. And has caused the thorny horns to come out and fight this thing. So <laughs> if, if we all know what that is and we address it, that is clearly abusive and we look to what the tax code was developed for to allow for appropriate mitigation of risk through a business owner and not push that envelope so hard that you run into trouble, then, then I think that's a, a great basis to start a discussion about whether or not this makes sense. So let's talk about the parameters. I know that, you know, admin companies aren't cheap and there must be, and I know there's a $2.6 million funding cap, but where does it work practically on the small side of things? So let's talk about the sort of the threshold to get into a, into a cap. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I, you know, I, I saw some real challenges in that, right? When I first started, I was like, man, $250,000 to form one of these things. And if you weren't doing north of a million dollars in this thing, it didn't make any sense. And I thought this, this, this isn't helping the, 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 the small to middle market business owners, right? So we, we were very conscious about that. And what I wanted to, so to, for example, it costs $6,000 to form a, uh, an 831B plan with this or uh, this, this arrangement, captive arrangement where you're starting to self-insure your own risk. So that builds the box, $6,000 a year. And then there's some retained liability because we, uh, we operate very quick. We operate very similar to the automotive industry where we have a fronting company that will underwrite the risk, issue the policies back to your operating company. Company, but then we're going to reinsure that risk in the back room. And that reinsurance company is an 831B plan that the business owner would own. So we, that's how we operate. And I think that lowers, lowers our fees down drastically because of that. Um, and we do some retained liability. So we go as high as 10% if you're le- doing less than 400000 and we go as low as 3%. And that's really for the guys that are doing north of $1.6 million a year in this program. Um, so our fees are very manageable. Um, we do it in a way that the client needs to win first. 
Um, and you know, that's, that's our focus. Uh, everything else should take care of itself. And I, and I, and you guys are like-minded on that, right? I mean, the client's got to be the winner here. Uh, everything else will take care of itself, right? I mean, it's just the world we should operate in. Right. And, and I know you guys do. So that being said, you know, for example, when the client can't fund that year, the most it's going to cost them is $6,000 and that's going to come out of the, 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 the plan. So, you know, that, that was a big thing for me, Larry, when I first looked at this, because what was happening in 08, 09, 2010, guys had these plans, but they were still costing 40, 60, $70,000 to have, but they weren't putting any money in it. And I'm like, well, what are you doing for that? as an, as an admin company to charge these, those are ridiculous fees to me. You know, if you're not issuing new policies, underwriting new risk, you know, going through certified audits and all those other things you had to do, what additional costs were you, were you getting to? So I, this felt like a money grab, you know, because, because you can, they did, uh, you know, I didn't want to run the program that way. So, you know, now I have clients and, and Bernardi brought up dental practices. I have dental practices that do forty, fifty thousand $50,000 a year in these things. Why? Because it's a hell of a lot better than a 401k. You know, they can't get the, they can't get, the, you know, these are guys are making three, four, five hundred thousand dollars $500,000 a year and they can't max fund their 401ks. Uh, they don't have enough people contributing to it, so they can't even get there. And meanwhile, they can do an 831B. They can, you know, warranty all their hard appliances that they're putting in the bridges to crowns and everything else. And it's a great program for them. Uh, and this becomes their own nest egg. And then, of course, we got guys that do, they'll do the max. I got guys that will own three or four of these things um, for a variety of reasons. These are 100 million plus year revenue companies that unfortunately have a ton of retained risk. Um, so I would say, but you know, the fees work in a way that is manageable for all, all the small to middle market business owners. We believe this will become a normal business practice, um, not because of the tax. Well, and I think if we do the math a little bit, then just to see how this works, let's say there's a $6,000 cost and it's a minimal contribution. Let's, I, let's call it a hundred thousand dollars as a, as a number, right? So $6,000, what's that? It's going to cost them sixteen grand that out of that at that year. Okay, because you do a ten percent of the hundred thousand or something. Yeah. Okay. So, and then you get eighty four thousand. Are you taking it out of the hundred, or you take it? Or how? Where does that sixteen? The six thousand in the, the six thousand in the first year you're buying shares, so that's actually coming from the client themselves that are buying the shares of the C corp. Okay. But after that, it does come out of the reinsurance company or the eight thirty one B plan, I should call it. Okay. Uh, it's going to the six thousand ongoing fee because there is an ongoing fee on that too. So that pays your domicile fees, it pays your tax returns, um, if you it, you know financial reporting, everything like that. It's it's one and done. There is no nickel and I mean, if you call us, you know, it's it's all inclusive, all the services we provide our clients. So, so in a little bit, you can think about this almost in the way that a, um, I hate to go back to the cash value life insurance, but a cash value life insurance policy also has relatively front end loaded fees. And it isn't for a couple of years before it starts to perform well as it sort of overcomes its initial cost. That's and the same thing can be looked at for the capital inside of the, um, the 831B is that your first $100,000 gets nixed pretty hard, the next one maybe not as badly. And then the more you accumulate, that fee roughly is staying relatively uh, static because you're not paying the fee on the capital in the account, you're paying that's, the fee on the that's contribution. That's exactly right. That's right? exactly so right. there's a point at which the more you make these contributions, then the relative cost gets lower and lower yeah. and more efficient for the, for the asset. So that's why it makes sense. So if anybody's listening, it sounds like a tremendous fee to pay. Again, it's a fee on deposit, not on capital. Um, so 
you have to pay attention to that over the over the term. Well, yeah. something else. Something I just want to add. You know, having gone to the conference and seeing how many people you had standing up there, but you know, with, with all your shirts, and I was like, wow. I mean, this is you know, you, you really have a fantastic organization there. So it's you know, it's not like it's just two people sitting behind a desk <laughs> trying to push papers between each other. There's, there's definitely you know a lot of structure to your to your organization. No, that's, I appreciate that, Bernard, because you're right. I mean, we try to we try to be very conscious of what we're charging, but at the same time, what we do, um, you know, takes takes very good dedicated staff, and so uh, and we do have a very good team. But you know, when the clients first hear about this, Larry, to your point, they're like, "Oh, geez, that seems a little rich." Well, you really let's peel back what a four hundred one k costs you. Um, you know, very similar in cost structure, actually, right, for administration. So to me, it's like, um, you know, I always tell clients, if you have a 401k, the 831B allows the 401k still be around because, you know, when you do get hit with these unforeseen incidences where you're just pulling money out of cash flow to make make good on it, you know, one of the things we're seeing right now is high deductibles. Business owners are taking high deductibles right now. Well, if something happened, where's that money going to come from? All that money is going to come from is cash flow. And that's a dangerous place to be in. You know, if they get hit at the wrong time, it's the difference between living and dying, right? So, you know, these are... These are structures. These are fees. And, and again, I think we're the we, we, we call ourselves a low cost provider with the five star service. And and I think that's again, you know, after 80, you know, let's take the 84,000. If you're living in California, you didn't you didn't take the deduction. You, you know, you had eighty four thousand dollars. Well, how much of that did how much of that how much of the hundred thousand did you have left? Right. Between state income tax, federal income tax and everything else, you know, our, our fees are still winning. Now, down the road, when you declare a dividend down the road, that's where the arbitrage comes in. Does it work still at that point? And that's really what we kind of focus on is like, is our fees in line to where our client can still win on that? And typically they'll save anywhere from eight to 12 percent. If they said, hey, guys, we're out in the first year, we, we you know, some, we don't like it, what, whatever. Our client would still win. Now, to your point, this should be a long term strategy. The longer the longer this money sits and, and goes into that, uh, I think you're absolutely right, Larry. I think uh, overall our, our client will win, but it, it is it should be looked upon as a long term planning strategy, not a short term. But even as short term, yeah. they went well, a little bit. And I think if you look at it in terms of I love sharing this with clients, you're you already have a plan. Everyone out here doesn't have an 831B plan already has a plan. They're just self-insured and there's no sinking fund, right? So they've already made a decision. The risk is still there. And so as you were saying, I was going to bring up the same thing. If if the contribution calculation turns out, and you guys have to do actuarial numbers. You just can't willy-nilly pick a number right. out of the sky and make a contribution. <laughs> so there is some there is some work that you're doing also to advise yeah. the clients as to what's fundable uh, and what kind of limits you can have. So let's just say that $100,000 is the annual risk that is reasonable to, to form a premium for. That is, you know, they don't know it, but that's their self-insurance premium that they're that they're not able to take a deduction for. And in California particularly, maybe you have 58 to 60 cents left of a dollar after taxes. If you're in the kind of income level that's generating that kind of responsibility, yeah. then you're definitely in that in that top bracket. Absolutely. So you're you're gonna have barely any leftover capital. And then, you know, there's no sinking fund to actually cover the risk. So I think it, it really does make sense to at least consider these things, have a conversation with your advisor, yeah. uh, call call your firm, 
Um, by the way, how do we find you? How does somebody listening? You know, uh, I would tell you to 831B.com. Uh, I mean, we, we've made some very educational videos on there. I think, you know, you know, this is one of these tools where you work work on it, not in it. Uh, you know, business owners got to get familiar, and I think they have to go around and, and do a lot of due diligence. I, I You know, and, and, and again, this is a tool in a toolbox for business owners. Uh, for the right client, it's a fantastic tool. But I would tell you to go to our website, 831B.com. And that's a great place to start. We got resources there. We got tax resources there. We've got case studies. We've got videos, animation videos that I'm told by Bree that, you know, we have to have because that draws people's attention is watching animation videos. Um, and, you know, we pay for those. That, that comes out of those fees, too, we charge. So anyway, um, but that's a great start to us. And then, of course, you can reach out to us uh, off that website through contacts. And then I would say we have about 200 advisors around the country that represent our products. Uh, I've got a very good in-house sales team. And, and really, when I say sales team is, you know, when you're educating, you're selling, I guess. But really, we educate first and we want to make sure our clients that get into these types of programs fully understand what they're involved in because to you what you brought up a little earlier about the risk distribution you know you will potentially pay claims that are not your own how's that how's that work and how's that happen you need to fully understand that and and again we do a good job with that we manage that risk very effectively and efficiently for our clients but those are those are pieces that i think business owners really have to understand to jump into this type of a program yeah. Well, as you probably know, we do manage money for captive insurance agencies. Uh, our specialty happens to be risk management on the investment side of things. And so we have uh, the, whole por- the whole thing of measured risk portfolios is that we have a very unique model that can attempt to generate equity like returns with a significant amount. I mean, well over the majority of the, of the portfolio held in treasuries. So that we have a very liquid pool of money to meet claims, if need be, uh, and also the ability to uh, provide a pretty reasonable growth on the portfolio. But if you if you're listening to the podcast and you're either an, a business owner or you're an advisor who doesn't know about these things, uh, you can reach out to us at Measured Risk because we're we're reasonably uh, capable at. at talking about this you can also reach out to van carlson at uh, sra or 831b.com and get more information about it because i think if you don't know about it yeah uh, you're, you've got a big hole in your arsenal of how to manage the risk so yeah. is and, there and I, I, I do want to say this what you guys do fits very well for us yeah exactly i, I like it I, it keeps it liquid enough but you guys are able to put some juice on the back end i i i I like it. it. It's, it's good. It, it's good. Hey, it, it's good business. And, and I, and the more ideas we can bring to these, the risk takers, the small to middle market business owners, because they just don't know, uh, the better. Right. And it makes us stronger as a society long-term. So, uh, exactly. we both have really good missions. Exactly. So. And to be clear, we work with other advisors. You know, not, not, so it's not like we're looking to remove the relationship. We oh no, I, I know. It. Uh, and help other advisors learn how to bring this type of management to it, but also help other advisors learn about the process. So so that's great. Well, Van, this has been uh, a great chat. Is there anything that uh, we didn't ask you that we think we should have asked you? No, I think you guys did a great job. I appreciate the questions and, and uh, you guys are definitely uh, insightful on it and it's, it's good. It's a, it's going to be an interesting uh, next several years anyway, right? It always yeah. is, it seems like. So uh, exactly. uh, we're excited about our growth and, and uh, we're excited for working with you guys. Appreciate, appreciate you getting me on your platform. Similarly. Thanks, man. 
Thanks, man. Good talk to you. This interview also may contain statements that constitute endorsements of measured risk portfolios, also known as MRP. Please note that any such statements are not made by clients of MRP, but by representatives of other investment advisory firms that work with MRP. No compensation was offered or given in exchange for these statements. However, a conflict of interest exists due to the incentive to give an endorsement in the interest of a good future working relationship between the endorser and MRP.